everyone. I'm Marcy Maxwell, your P2P BFF and host of the P2P Soapbox podcast. Welcome back for another episode. Today, we are tackling a topic that isn't always comfortable to talk about, yet critical nonetheless. Like so many communities and corporations, leading nonprofit organizations are undertaking the long overdue and challenging task of scrutinizing their operational strategies through the lens of justice, equity, diversity, and inclusion, also known as JEDI. There are big questions still facing the nonprofit industry, particularly regarding racial equity and its intersection with the missions we champion, the positions we advocate, the donors we prioritize, and even the composition of our workforce. And our little corner of the world, peer-to-peer fundraising, is no different. Just by virtue of the democratic nature of P2P fundraising, our events and campaigns provide a really unique opportunity to translate these principles into action. They provide us the platform to unite individuals from diverse backgrounds around a common cause, a way to reflect our mission to the broader community, and allow us to dismantle barriers that might stop potential supporters from connecting with our missions. Helping us tackle this topic today is a true trailblazer in the sector, Deb Barge, who has led a variety of national fundraising initiatives for some of the country's largest nonprofits. Currently, Deb serves as the Chief Development Officer of Big Brothers Big Sisters of America, which is the largest and preeminent one-to-one mentoring organization in America. Big Brothers Big Sisters of America has more than 230 agencies serving more than 5,000 communities across all 50 states, all 100% free of charge to the families enrolled in the program. And September just happens to be National Big Brothers Big Sisters Month. With Deb's help, we'll shed light on how leading organizations are bringing JEDI principles to life within their peer-to-peer events, as well as the role that staff and volunteers can play in creating an inclusive environment. So let's dig into this important conversation with Big Brothers Big Sisters of America's Deb Barge. Hey, Deb, welcome to the P2P Soapbox podcast. Hello, Marcy. Thanks so much for inviting me in. I can't wait to talk to you today. We are so excited to have you join us. I know you and I have gotten to know each other through the years, through the the conference circuit. And we were so happy to have you join us uh, at our conference in 2022, which feels like a long time ago, but really wasn't. Um, and excited to, to really hear what you have to say about the world of Jedi and how that interacts with peer-to-peer. Uh, so before we jump into the topic, though, I just would love to hear a little bit about your personal journey, your professional journey that led you to this amazing role as Chief Development Officer of Big Brothers Big Sisters of America. Thank you so much, Marcy. And yes, you and I have had a long journey in this world. I have been in development on our side in the in the fundraising and philanthropy space for over 20 years. Folks may not realize I started the other way. I started on the corporate side. So I had this beautiful opportunity to start an all-state insurance company. I had a lot of responsibilities, internal and external comms, corporate relations, all of that. But at the time, in the very early 90s, that included giving and foundation giving. 
And it was my chance to sit on the other side. We really review all these applications we give in, think about the opportunities that nonprofits were bringing forward and how it aligned to our business strategies. And when I left there, after being there for five years, I went to a nonprofit, a direct service organization that that worked in Seattle, serving the homeless population. And it gave me this aha. I thought I was going into communications and nonprofit. And surprise, I didn't know I was a fundraiser. I had no clue. I think that happens to a lot of us. A lot of us in this industry, I feel like are accidental fundraisers. I'm an accidental fundraiser for sure. And it just never stopped from there. Like very quickly after that first year and that organization realized, oh, I should be raising money. This is where my brain is happiest. It's where my heart intersects with this work. And I started a wonderful journey that led me to various causes. Almost unintentionally, I went from this great direct service org to another direct service org serving youth in the local community. And then very quickly started working on more regional and national partnerships that happened to be in the health space. So I, like many of us in nonprofit, especially many of us in peer-to-peer, were in health charities. So I was working with a lot of health organizations as a consultant. And for all of us that know, we had this need all the time for gap staff. Folks, when my ED is transitioning on maternity leave or expanding, et cetera, that I was a traveling ED for hire for folks like JDRF for years. I was doing trainings and engagement for March of Dimes across all of their events for years, about 10 years. And then finally, it realized you could be on the outside for oh so long. If you really want to help build systemic change in an organization, you need to move in the house. And I moved into March of Dimes. And at the time, they were, you know, top 10 peer-to-peer program. They're they're a little bit of the granddaddy in the walk space. Yep. And I had the opportunity to work on that team and lead eventually the entire field, which included all of peer-to-peer and all of our galas and events and everything else under the sun, as well as our localization. So it just became this journey that clearly was where I was meant to go. Uh, from there, I went to another large health organization doing very similar work, leading a field and events for the Muscular Dystrophy Association. So for all of us that envy the stand up to cancer moment, thank you to the MBA Telethon for starting that movement. Like I feel like I got to go play in the ponds of really large legacy leaders in our work. And then the pandemic hit. And for a lot of us in those event spaces, we hurt. It was really hard. What do we What do we do now that our events are canceled? How do we move forward when a good 70% plus of our income was coming from these moments that we were gathering in person and they weren't happening? And I am a woman of color. I am a a person who is half Mexican and half Pacific Islander. My mom came here as an exchange student when I was a kid. And as the pandemic continued and the social justice movements were rising, I was sitting alone at a table and not seeing myself reflected in the table I was at. And I wanted to go work in a cause that I could feel more included myself and more direct service. So I needed to rewind all the way back to the beginning of my career where I was direct service, like right there, supporting causes today. And it was time for me to move out of the research-based organizations, the deposits of the future, and move into the deposits of today. And I started looking for a cause. And I stumbled upon... Big Brothers, Big Sisters opportunity. And I met our CEO, 
Artis Stevens, who started just six months before uh, I joined the organization and his vision for youth empowerment, his vision for the importance of mentorship, it sparked my heart. Like, that's the kind of place I want to go next. And so serendipitously, we met, we connected, it felt like the right fit. And I've been here now two and a half years. That's, I love hearing that journey. I think it's always so interesting because again, and I, I joke when I call us accidental fundraisers because this is a real job and people do study to be in this career, but I don't think it's a career you ever realize exists until you kind of get later on into life and you're like, I could do that professionally. I could raise money to do good in this world as my career. And so I love hearing kind of how you got where you are. And I think finding different missions that, you know, light up different parts of you and kind of where you are right now. I feel like getting to know you seems like such a perfect fit um, for where you are. So as I mentioned, you were the rock star presenter at our conference in 2022, which was one of the reasons we wanted to to bring you back for this podcast. And it was really on the topic of Jedi and peer-to-peer. And I know I'm just going to have to make the joke. We are not talking about Star Wars, um, much to my niece and nephew's chagrin. But so let's start with just a level set on the acronym JEDI, um, how you define it at Big Brothers Big Sisters, and really why does that matter to peer-to-peer? I love, well, first of all, know that we talk in Star Wars all the time, uh, not not just in my house, love it. but out loud at work. <laughs> How do you not with the word Jedi? It's kind How of do you fun. not? <laughs> How do you not? That said, the joy of Jedi in that same vein is we do all have that special force inside of us, right? And that's the part we'll lean on. What for many of us and having just come, like like I shared from an organization like MBA that was really in the accessibility space, for some of us, we call it idea and, and others of us call it Jedi. And in the corporate space, you might just hear it as DEI. And it's really for us, it's justice, equity, diversity, and inclusion. Now, it became very of the moment to talk about Jedi during the during the pandemic and during the social justice rise. But for us, it's a little different. Big Brothers Big Sisters was founded as an innovative solution for young people from going into a path in the juvenile justice system. So in 1904, a wonderful county clerk said, hold on a minute, there's a lot of kids coming through here. What's going on? Why are kids coming into the justice system? Why isn't there something else happening to prevent that? So as a preventative measure, he helped to found Big Brothers and then eventually merged to Big Sisters and the organization that we are today. It was really about how do we bring opportunity to young people by bringing diverse communities together to create equitable access to Opportunities that both further your economic environment, your educational environment, your social capital, and ensure that young people from all walks of life are included at those tables from very young in age all the way through adulthood as these mentoring relationships would last far beyond just your adolescence. So really for us, Jedi was how we were founded. It just became something everyone talked about over the last few years in a way that made sense across many missions. And then, and just like I shared earlier, for many of our accessibility organizations and organizations that represent all abilities and all, all types, 
idea has been around for just as long. All those folks that have advocated for um, accessibility for folks who have both physical and, and unseen disabilities, they've been at this so much longer than some of the other organizations that all of us stand on the shoulders of these longtime heroes in this work. Well, and I think that's exactly, there's this longstanding connection. And I know you've shared some stories about how you've seen the principles of Jedi play out in the world of of peer-to-peer in your walks, your runs, your rides. What are some of those, you know, real tangible, concrete examples that you've seen? I, I love this conversation. We had the chance, Marcy, as you've mentioned, to connect at peer-to-peer in 2022, which was, by the way, it was like coming home celebration. You all were bold to be the first to bring people back together in a big ballroom. So first of all, kudos to all of you for breaking (laughs) that. That was huge. Oh my gosh. And it gave us all a chance to talk about Jedi in person because boy, this topic can be uncomfortable. It was empowering to stand alongside everyone in the room and put a mirror in front of ourselves and talk about what are we doing great and where do we have opportunity. And that it's not new, right? So just to your example, we haven't, in peer-to-peer, we've been doing this a long time. We just didn't label it Jedi or idea before. But we should celebrate the things we have done. Let's think about, and I'm going to lean on an old house at the March of Dimes, who since the 70s had the Divine Nine very intentionally engaged in what at the time was Walk America and became March for Babies. But why? Why was actually really authentic? And it's an example of why we know that authenticity matters in our Jedi and idea space. In our country, the number of women who are Black or Brown and have issues with birth and die from giving childbirth are exponentially higher. Women, Black women are two times as likely to die in childbirth than Caucasian women. And Brown women like myself, we sit right in the middle of that. So this partnership with the Divine Nine was intentional. This is a community we should serve. This is a community that needs awareness building and support through the maternal journey. So it wasn't just about, wow, we'd love to have them come in and fundraise. No, this is a community that has mission alignment. Let's bring them into our movement. And at the time, Walk America was one of the most outward movement pieces for the mission. So it's one of like, wow, that makes so much sense, right? What a, an easy connection. Those are the most authentic. And you and I have talked about some others that are just as authentic like that in St. Jude, who from the very beginning has been inclusive in the Hispanic community more than some others and much earlier than others for that same reason, really understanding who their core recipients were, who the audience is that's being engaged in their services. You know, I always have looked at it as, you know, stemming from your, you know, constituent population in terms of who you serve and taking a look at your peer-to-peer population and going, is there any correlation here? Does it, it's not a one-to-one, but if you have a very diverse constituent population that you're serving, either it's treatment or, you know, again, leaning on a previous house you're granting wishes to, but you go to an event and it does not at all represent that community, that that's 
it's a problem and an opportunity, right? It's a problem that you are not maybe having the same level of outreach, but it's this huge opportunity to bring people in, not only for fundraising, because exactly what you said with March Dimes, it's not just about saying, here's an audience we haven't tapped yet who can raise money for us. It's here's an audience that needs to know our mission, who is benefiting from our mission, and we need to engage them with that. And then the fundraising often can come from that. So it's that's right an opportunity on both sides. What about an MDA? I know, um, and then I want to talk about, we're going we're to keep talking about Big Brothers, Big Sisters too, but I know expressly with that organization and then having an event that's labeled a walk where the reality is not every child has that ability to walk. Can you talk a little bit about some of the things y'all did there? I love that. That's one of my favorite pieces about being at MBA is my own awareness building and understanding of this community and celebrating the American with Disabilities Act from the 90s and realizing, wow, the nothing about us without us is really critical. And in a community like MBA, even more so, it's lived out loud. So imagine you do have a walk, but guess what? Every walk is wheel accessible so that you can use your chair alongside your, your mobile family. You can be in this with us. That to your point you just made, Marcy, it's about bringing the community in. Think about your partners and other walkers and supporters that are coming to be alongside the community in those moments. That's the celebration and the magic. And at MDA, it's all the things that they do naturally because of who they serve that so many of us can learn from. Do we have a wheelchair ramp to the stage? Do we think about the microphone position so that the person yeah. in their chair, right, is presented well? Do we understand you don't use a wheelchair as an armrest if you're the other person? That's not how you position, though we've all seen these mistakes out loud. It was such a beautiful moment that the the playbook, so many of us have a playbook in peer-to-peer. The playbook included all these things. When you choose your route, when you choose your staging, when you think about your speakers, when you're coaching your MC, who might just be that great local TV talent, they don't know some of these protocols or considerations for your audience. Right. And I feel like MBA helped me to learn, but certainly has helped start a movement because of who they are and their time in this space for other ability organizations to say, oh, we see that. In fact, we're going to take that and we're going to go to the next level and the next level. That's why idea is so important in that accessibility space. And I would even call out our friends at Autism Speaks. I have an autistic child. That's exactly what I was about (laughs) to say, Deb. Great minds. It's personal for me. My child... I felt I couldn't take them a lot of places until I figured out that for them, sensory was a trigger. And once I figured that out, we could go do different things. Once I figured out that I could muffle with headphones the noise, but look what Autism Speaks did in their walks. The uh, the cowbell ringing at the start and stop line that we're used to in a normal peer peer, we don't do that at an Autism Speaks walk. We're conscious of who we're serving we want to feel included and welcomed. And so we convert it. We do the, the silent clap. We have visual stimulation of balloons or other things, but we don't just, we don't keep our audience that we're serving out. We bring them in and we change the environment to welcome them. To me, they're a great leader in this work. And I think I, I, it's exactly the example I was thinking of. And I think what's so important is it's not just doing those things, but it's explaining why you're doing those things. Because then I think 
the people who maybe it's their first time coming to, um, you know, an MDA event or Autism Speaks event to say, this is why we have made this. This is why our walk is different. This is why our peer-to-peer program is different. This is why we're reaching out to a group like Divine Nine and explaining. And then they go, if they understand the intentionality of it that I think just then endears people to these causes even more because it helps them to understand your mission even more. That's 100% right, Marcy. I think you're spot on. And that ripple goes further than the communities we serve. It touches those corporate partners and sponsors we all rely on. They see the authenticity. They see the mission alignment. In some ways, we're teaching them how to live out loud their DEI and idea strategies. And that's a beautiful thing that we in cause and purpose and social change, we get to be the leaders at the front of the parade on some of this. As you said, you spoke at the conference and you talked about it's an uncomfortable sometimes conversation. And that room, despite our efforts to create a really diverse community, it's still a very white female, I'll say women of a certain age. I'm not going to, uh, I'm not going to call us all out on our ages, but it seems like there is this desire to diversify that is not happening in the staff level at the same point, or not that there's not a desire, but it's just not coming to fruition. And it feels like the organizations that have the greatest success in creating those truly diverse and inclusive programs are the ones that start with their employee base. It even sounds like part of your career, you know, looking for an organization that um, where you felt comfortable as a woman of color. So can you talk a little bit about what you've done as a leader in some of your organizations to, to try and tackle this? Uh, Marcy, that's such a good flag. And I'm glad you're calling out because this can be uncomfortable. This conversation can be hard. It's the look in the mirror. I, I always relate things to, stories we can all understand like all of us feel sometimes like oh that I need to lose five pounds I need whatever it's all a journey right so I always give everyone that grace of we're all on a journey but how are we taking that first step in the journey and I would say I learn from other organizations all the time one that I think does this so well is Trevor Project Mm -hmm. they are really thoughtful from the beginning about their hiring practices and I say that from the stance of They don't even move forward in an interview process until their pipeline of candidates is representative of the community. So if we don't have the right representation, we're not ready to move to interview. We're not ready for step two. What a commitment. It is. And that's not easy when you're understaffed. It's not easy at all to stick to those principles. That's right. I'm so proud of that. Yeah. At MBA, they were very proactive as an organization of hiring people within the community. Mm -hmm. And that meant, guess what? Your office looked different. Your hours look different. Your breaks need to look different. Your time between meetings needs to look different. Because remember when you were in person, how long it takes for someone in a chair to get from point A to point B in a building that's not as accommodating or a campus that is not. These accommodations are important in how we change the pace of work. And they're, they're great. And then in addition to that, we talked about my friends at March of Dimes, but also my current organization. When we speak about our Jedi experience, 
I get to play a role in that, but I am not the head of the Jedi community. I am not the right person to be the liaison to our divine nine relationships. Right. I might be the right person to partner with our Lambda relationship as our Hispanic fraternity, but I don't fit in certain places. Are we representing those various organizations, their communities in a meaningful way and authentically? And I, I give Marcia Dimes this credit for a woman named Gwen Carmen who led the Divine Nine relationships for years because she was of the community. She was a member of one of the sororities. She could speak the language. She lived and grew up in that experience very different than I can. Our CEO today is an alpha. He gets to talk with his brothers in alpha differently than I get to engage with them. I get to support. And we all have to be okay that sometimes we're the backseat in some of these, these places. And to your point, we got to be patient and how we bring the right employee along for the right body of work. Sometimes they're a new person and sometimes they're from a supporting team. But this is, this is those chances where a smart organization does stretch assignments, pulls folks in from around. Maybe your HR person is going to take a role now in your peer to peer work because they are actually the right person in this environment. Yep. You know, and I think it's so interesting that you use the example of fraternities and sororities, because that was exactly kind of in the early days of, you know, we're going to hire a more diverse staff. I can remember there being some pushback, people being like, we're just people. We're just talking about a mission. Why? Why can't you send Marcy, you know, at the time, the 24 year old white girl to go into the, you know, predominantly black church that wants to do a fundraiser for us? And I had a leader at the time and he was like, think about the world of fraternity and sororities, you know, going into that, knowing the lingo, knowing the rules of the game, knowing the hierarchy, knowing the just the overall um, sense of camaraderie. It's going to be a lot easier to walk into a sorority if you were in a sorority or walk into an alumni event for a college if you went to that college. And it he, it was making that connection to say, that's why it's important. The same way that would be meaningful to someone from the community, it's the exact same thing, why we want to hire somebody who can then go into a community that we are looking to more deeply engage with, hire somebody from that community. And I think it was a great example in the early days for people to say, oh, okay, I get it. It's not just, yes, I mean, technically anybody can do it, but are they going to do it well? Is that the right approach? And I, so I think starting with staff, I just have always been, it's always been my, my thought. And I, you know, I, I don't know all the ways that we can continue to diversify and in the peer to peer space, it's, it's something that concerns me and is something I want to figure out. So if we got any listeners that have the magic uh, answers, uh, we would welcome that part of the conversation. 100%. It is all within, right? We've talked about, you and I have talked about this extensively. It starts within. And I just want to put an exclamation point because you said a few things and I said a few things. We are not speaking race. We are talking, when we talk about Jedi, it's gender. Like if we're in a women's cause, you better have some women. Doesn't mean you don't also have male allies, but you better have both. If you're a a cause like Trevor, you know, LGBTQ plus, you better be represented of the community. If you're an MDA, you better have folks within the muscular dystrophy and ALS community. This isn't, this isn't about just the color of my skin. It is my experience. It's my lived experience. 
that we're trying to bring to the table in our workforce and creating the environment where it's comfortable for your workforce to bring that forward. You may have these people that work for you today, but if your inner circle inside your culture has not made it comfortable for them to surface that, you might be missing some great folks that are already on your team that could be an ally in this work. Yeah, or your frontline fundraisers all look a certain way and are of a certain ilk. Your organization might be very diverse, but if your front lines aren't, that's where there can be a challenge. So so let's talk, I wanna get more into the world of Big Brothers, Big Sisters. So again, you've come from a lot of legacy peer-to-peer programs. So can you tell us a little bit about peer-to-peer at Big Brothers, Big Sisters? How is that a part of your strategy for growth at the organization? I love this question because Big Brothers, Big Sisters, I think did so many things right when they launched their nationwide peer-to-peer program, which is Bold for Kids Safe. And it's a bowling event, right? Go to Bowling Alley. But why it was chosen was not so much about, hey, we can raise lots of money in peer-to-peer. That wasn't it. It was an inclusive activity that bigs and littles could do together. So when you think about what we've just talked about, how do you bring the community in? How do you bring those you serve in? The entire model was, this is an activity kids in all communities can do together with their big. It's a connector and it's a chance to invite others in, your corporate friends, the wider community, new partners and constituents. And for that matter, youth or bigs that are not sure yet, maybe they haven't been matched. This is a great get to know you. Sure, it happens to raise money as well, but that wasn't the intention at first. It was, this is inclusive and all folks can equitably be joining and not have it feel performative or in, a, in some ways pity-based, this was fantastic. And so like others, though, we took the same hit others have taken. Events took a hard hit over the last few years. And I would say that our agencies are rebuilding. Some are finding Bull for Kids' Sake is still strong as ever and a great peer-to-peer. Others are finding it's evolved more into a community build event And maybe the fundraising isn't as strong as they'd hoped. They're still recovering out of the last few years. But what it has given way for is what's next. It's a, all right, here's what we know, we've learned, now what's next? And here's what this mission is armed with. That We we talk about this all the time as an industry in peer-to-peer. Who are your most powerful folks or your advocates? Those people that are out there talking about your mission. So for every young person served in this mission, there is a volunteer mentor that is there. We all know the stat, right? Volunteers give more to the causes that they spend their time with. We have a built-in audience of volunteers that we are now looking at. How do we offer them the chance to do their peer-to-peer fundraising in a way that feels rewarding and empowering and respectful of the relationship they have with their young person, but in a way that meets them. So a lot more of that DIY, where does it meet you? And we have agencies that are doing scavenger hunts because that now feels like the peer-to-peer way for their bigs. These volunteers feel really excited about it. And that's what I think is so great is the innovation coming out of a network that you get to have. We all know this. I think in, in your and I world, we used to always say the best things come out of the field. It's the same thing here at Big Brothers, Big Sisters. The best ideas come from our agencies and those agencies that listen to their mentors and their youth and let them lead on what's next are the ones we're seeing having the best success. And these next phase of examples that lead into 
where we believe we're going and really empowering that volunteer community that's currently with us. And then the 20 million alumni of our program that is out there that we want to empower to come back to us is on the next phase of our journey. So speaking of the next phase, so we're recording this early September, which just happens to be National Big Brothers Big Sisters Month. And I know your team has recently announced a new campaign focused on exactly what you just said, re-engaging your alumni in mentoring and fundraising. So what can you tell us hot off the presses? Well, thankfully, we're going to be sharing this as we have just launched this great campaign. Because here's a couple things that we know as a mission. There are stats to say volunteerism is going down in certain communities. And we know that our mission is empowered by volunteers. It has been for this almost 120 years. In order for us to help find new volunteers to meet the demand, the current 30,000 kids that are waiting for a mentor, we need to take away some of this mystery behind being a mentor, the burden of mentorship, as we say. Feels like a lot. Like, oh, that sounds hard. I, I don't know if I can do that. I don't know if I'm perfect. I'm not a surgeon. I'm not a, a hero. I don't, I don't do everything right. I don't know if I'm the right person to be a mentor. And this campaign is really helping to say, actually, being a mentor is not about being perfect. It's about being persistent. It's a few hours of your time every month. Not a lot. It's the, instead of going to get your coffee in the morning alone, bring along a buddy. Instead of going to the park where you like to go rollerblade or hang out and do yoga, bring your buddy along. Instead of just going to paint together, do that with your little. Find those moments where you're connecting a young person in because those little moments are really where the big impact happens. It's that little conversation. If all of us look back in our own lives, think about the person that impacted you. Think about the person that I was 14 to 18 years old. Someone said something, someone did something. And that moment sticks with us, even now as adults. It may not stick as hard with the person that, that gave us that moment, but for us, it was powerful and it can be the smallest thing. And so our campaign is called, It Takes Little to Be Big. Because it takes all the young people, we don't become a big without a young person, but it is those little moments. It is those little actions that really add up to the big impact that we see in our young people. And it's really an opportunity for us to raise awareness. We need more mentors out there. We would love for our alumni to come back. If you were a big before, come back and tell your story of mentorship. Help everyone else see how great and impactful it was for you. If you were a little, are you ready to mentor someone else? Maybe you can come and now share your wisdom and your knowledge. If you are, if you are a person that's been a volunteer somewhere, if you're on a board, if you're ready to share your wisdom, if you want to give back in a meaningful way and you want to feel that direct support, this is a place that you can do that. Whether it's go to school once every other week and eat full lunch pizza with your young person. I got a little nostalgia for that. I'll eat yeah. that square pizza. <laughs> square pizza. Square pizza. And <laughs> or maybe you're a company and you want to help young people come into your workplace and learn what it's like to have a career and be in a boardroom and have that experience. Mentorship happens in all different forms. And we know that we need to widen the circle of folks that want to be mentors. So we're ecstatic about bringing this to life thanks to our in-kind partners, 
our board, our, our media friends, all around, and our network. Our network is the key. If our agencies are equipped, and they are, to welcome all these folks in, if we help bring in this new audience, they get to serve more kids. And serving more kids is what every single one of them say we need, every single community. The, the profile of a young person in our, in our program is changing. The mental health crisis has called for kids need mentors. The challenges of kids coming out of COVID and still recovering. The number of kids that stay in our program to age 25 and need support beyond high school. Our agencies will tell you, we need more mentors. We need more support. And the campaign is an opportunity to tell everyone out loud, we're here. Many of you might not know, we're here. There is a way you can play a role because every little thing you do can make a really big impact. So we hope you see us. We hope you hear us in podcast and on the radio. And we hope you will scan that QR code and come in and tell your mentorship story. Who said that little thing for you? Who made a difference in your life? Because none of us, not you, me, anyone listening, is sitting where we are alone. Someone mentored us at some point in our life. Absolutely. So... I love this. My wheels are turning because as we've been talking, I'm like, I don't know if I could be a mentor. I don't know if I've got the right. I mean, again, everything you just said was going through in my head, um, but I love it. And it's 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 I am personal story. I'm a, a, a I'm the favorite aunt, right, of my nieces and nephews. Sorry to my sisters. Um, but I often think about like there are a lot of kids out there that don't have an Aunt Marcy in their life. Right. And so, because I am all up in their business. Uh, and I think while I'm grateful to give that to them, sometimes I think about what what else could I be doing to help a child that is, that, again, doesn't have an Aunt Marcy in their life. Um, so I love hearing about this. So I know people are probably just as inspired as I am. So give me some specifics. Where can people learn um, about Big Brothers, Big Sisters of America, whether it's social, your website, would love for you to tell them where to go. I love that. We would encourage you, please follow us in social. We're typically BBBSA, which is Big Brothers, Big Sisters of America. So BBBSA in every channel. So your, your LinkedIn's, your TikToks, your uh, Instagram's and your Facebook's, which is fantastic. We're really excited about our brand campaign that's launched for September and alongside our strategic plan, it will last for several years. So BeBigNow.org, as well as BBBS.org. And when you want to be a big, any of those .orgs, any of those channels, you're interested in volunteering, you can click on all of them. And there is a button to say volunteer now or become a big now. We try to make it really easy that you can find us everywhere. You can get involved anywhere. We want to welcome you in one of our many, many, many agencies across this nation within the community of mentorship. So please join us anywhere. Be big now and join us in sharing your mentorship journey. I love it. Deb, thank you so much for taking us along your professional journey and everything you've learned along the way. We really appreciate it. Marcy, thank you. I thank you all at the forum and the team because what you do is help my hunger as a continuous learner. So thanks for letting these conversations happen with everyone else. I love listening. I love learning. And I appreciate all that you are leading and all our peers out there 
because this work in fundraising is hard, but we do it, all of us, because we want to make a big impact in the world and know that everything you do is making that change. You're too kind. So thank you for thank you for listening today and we'll see you on the next episode. The P2P Soapbox is produced in partnership with True Story FM, engineering by Pete Wright. Music this week is by Russo. If your podcast app allows ratings and reviews, we hope you'll consider doing just that for our show. But the best thing that you can do to support the P2P Soapbox is simply to share the show with a friend or colleague. Thank you for listening.